welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, we have a guest speaker, Reverend Joan Martin, who is here to tell us the significance of forgiveness at the well. Let's listen. Well, hi, y'all. All oh, y'all. Not bad for a girl from Pittsburgh. Just want to say I'm so grateful to David and Dana for inviting me here today and trusting me to have their congregation's hearts in my hands this beautiful Sunday morning. More importantly, you are in Jesus' hands as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, please be with us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts all be acceptable unto you. And please send the power of the Holy Spirit to be with us today, illuminating our minds, touching our hearts in new ways. May we love you and draw ever closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the woman at the well in John, Gospel of John, chapter 4. Beforehand, I've got a little history lesson that we've got to go through that'll make the story a little bit more interesting. This woman was a Samaritan. We never know her name, and uh, it may not seem noteworthy, but it is. The Samaritans were the hated enemies of the Jews. Did y'all know that? Yeah, a lot of you knew that already. Okay, I'll move on. (laughs) So uh, even though they were hated by the Jews, Jesus was part of the Jewish culture, but, but he didn't cotton to that. He did not follow what the other Jews were thinking about the Samaritans. And where the Samaritans started, in the very early years, the Hebrews, the the, uh, Jews, and the Samaritans were all together. Part of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Samaritans came from the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, the children of Joseph. And the most popular idea is that they may have been the remnant that was left behind after the Babylonian exile after the uh, Babylonians came over to Israel and carted off the Jews to Babylon, and that was long about 1587 B.C. So the important thing for us today is that the the Samaritans broke off and had their own, they they changed the religion. You know today how it's so important that the Jews, the Muslims, the Christians, Jerusalem is our our central point. It's kind of HQ for, for many of us. For the Samaritans, it was Mount Gerizim. That's where they worshipped. And so that's another point that's going to be brought up in the the reading today. Um, Jews and Samaritans long-held hostilities. They did not consort together. Uh, Jesus, Jesus breaks convention. The hatred of the Jews, excuse me, the hatred of the Samaritans didn't affect Jesus. So... He was traveling, and I'll read this in a second, he was traveling from Judea to Galilee, and uh, the most direct route was to go through Samaria. But a lot of these folks, the Jews would travel all the way, I mean, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. But Jesus, no, he was intentional, he wanted to preach and teach to all and every kind of person. Also, the well figures largely in our story today, and that goes back to the book of Genesis, chapter 33. Uh, One of the major patriarchs, his name was Jacob. Jacob bought that land right after he reconciled with his brother Esau, Jacob and Esau. 
and it is the town of Shechem, today known as Nablus. And if any of you follow the uh, hostilities, the conflicts that are in the Middle East, you know that Nablus is a Palestinian-held, very important town in the West Bank. But the well is open to tourists. So even though it's Palestinian-held, you can still go there and see that well. So let's get on with the story. This is John 4, verse 3 through 40. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came. 
They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She told all the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and they were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer just because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves and we now know this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, let us pray. Heavenly Lord, we thank you for these special, holy, separate, and held-apart words. We are grateful, grateful for the Gospel of John. Help us, Lord, to learn new things. Help us to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to review... Jesus had left Judea, he started back to Galilee, he's going through Samaria, which is the most direct route, which is unusual because so many others would go way around, the Jews would go way around to avoid it. He comes to the city of Sychar, the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph, and the well was there, and Jesus was tired out by the journey, and he was resting, and it was about noon. Now, that little piece of information about noon wouldn't be very important or germane to this story, except how hot is it today? What do you think, 95? I was watching Larry Sprinkle last night, WCNC, and he said it's going to be 95 today. Okay. So if you had work to do, like you've got to go fetch some water, are you going to go at noon? No, no. So this kind of indicates to us she was coming by herself, and usually the women would all come together, and they would go and get the, in the morning. Was she being ostracized? Hmm. We don't know this for sure. She might have done something wrong in the eyes of the other women. So, anyway, she comes across Jesus. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. So Jesus is alone, she is alone, there's no witnesses, they are unchaperoned, it's a very, very unusual situation. And this Samaritan woman, she's got to be really gutsy, don't you think? She says, 
How is it that you, a Jew, I can just see her with her hands on her hips. How is it you, a Jew, would ask a drink of, a me, of me, a woman of Samaria? So Jesus is taking the time to talk to this hated foe, the Samaritan. He addresses a woman against all norms, all customs of the time. A man did not speak to a woman, especially when they were alone. This is when Jew to Jew. So this is very, Jesus isn't interested in societal norms. Jesus isn't interested in customs. Jesus is interested in saving all souls, men, women, Jewish, Samaritan. He sees this woman as precious and worth the time it took to discuss salvation. He wants converts of all stripe. So Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God, who it was who sang to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's kind of a riddle, isn't it? Living water. What is that? What is that? Of course, we know 2,000 years later, he's referring to salvation. He's referring to what he as our, our Christ, as our Messiah, Messiah can give to us. So he talks of water, not literally, but the water of life springing forth, gushing towards eternal life and having faith. We need to have faith. So the woman, thinking literally, says, "Uh, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and his sons and flocks that drank from it? Yes. Yes, he is. He is greater than Jacob. Yeah, he's trying to express this to her, get it through her thick head that he's greater than any of the most important of the patriarchs, one of which is Jacob. So Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I give them, will they will never be thirsty. And and we know what that is. We know that Jesus gives us today and to all of us, those of us who believe, life, eternal life, and good life here on earth, uh, uh, water that satisfies, water that does not ever go away. So, again, he's he's talking to her and says, uh, talking about the spring of water, and then she says, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Yeah. I don't want to have to come at noontime every day. I don't want to have to drag my jug. Yeah, give me something that will work all the time. Yes, 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 yes. So here's a shift, completely unexpected. Jesus says, out of the blue, go call your husband and come back. Dun, dun, dun. This, ain't no, this isn't good news. She says, I have no husband, thinking that that will end the topic. Cut that off. We don't want any unpleasantness here. Can you imagine her expression when he says to her, yeah, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Yeah, I know this. You are right in saying that. And the woman, you know, anybody else would be, shocked and appalled, but she says, sir, I see you are a prophet. Yeah, she's trying to gloss over this and flatter him. I see you are a prophet. How does he know this? How does he know this? Our ancestor, let's see, then she goes into this uh, uh, 
political. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. She's deflecting. She's not responding to that 800-pound elephant. She goes to the topic of religious differences and to Jesus. None of that matters. His agenda is to share the good news about himself, to instruct her so that she can instruct others about her belief. So Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. You worship the Father on this mountain, so forth. You know, they talk about it a little bit. He, he mentions Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Then she says, uh, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. So she's getting into this theological discussion. And then Jesus, I am he. I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Here I am. It is me, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, the disciples come. I love to call them the disciples. Duh. Duh. Because they just don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't get it. They're astonished. <laughs> These 12 guys, they're astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but none of them asked, you know, what does she want? Why are you speaking to her? You know, I mean, they're just, they kind of bumbled in. Here they are. Then the woman who is so excited, she leaves her water jar. She goes back to the city. I mean, the, the mission that she came for, she forgets all about it. <clears throat> she leaves her water jar, which is also a metaphor for her former life. She leaves the water jar. She's so excited, wants to get back to the city, wants to tell everybody about the Messiah is here, this man who knew everything about me. He's more than a prophet. He's the Messiah. He, he, she leaves, and she, she goes back to the city. And so the Samaritans, they respond. They hear her message, uh, they, and they're on their way to see him. So many of the Samaritans from the city believed in him because of her testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came, they asked him to stay with them for two more days. So this is unheard of. You know, hatred, hatred for centuries, and they're asking Jesus, we, we accept you, please stay, because we want to learn more about this. So the visit with his hated enemies is successful, and large part due to this forgiven woman's testimony. She was preaching, and I am preaching as a female. Full circle. The most important thing to take away from this story is that God can take the most sinful and otherwise outcast people to do his important work. He can take the most hated person, a sworn enemy, and forgive them and give them a totally different and new life. Now, I'm going to get a drink of water because I'm going to tell you a little personal story. And, and it's hard to tell, so I, gotta, I have to gird my loins. <laughs> That's right, the woman in water. Amen, brother. Okay. I tell you this story not to glorify myself but give God the glory, and I cannot say this enough. Without the help of God, I would not be able to stand here in front of you today without God's help. Looking at me, 
I look like an upstanding, well-educated, good person. This was not always the case. I was an alcoholic. I started drinking regularly at age 15. I started out little by little. I kept a bottle of whiskey, Seagram's 7, in my study desk at home because I looked and acted a lot older. I was able to get booze. My older friends would get it for me. Started out small, but it became more and more out of control as I got older. So from 15, age 15, to 33, for 18 years, I drank heavily. And it was by the grace of God that I was able to quit. One of the greatest compliments I get these days is when people cannot imagine me as that person. But it is true. I did many, many sinful and unsavory things. Drinking, drugs, promiscuity, collateral damage, the whole nine yards. I was wild, I was willful, and had no room in my heart for God to tell me what to do. My friends even called me Calamity Joan. I was always stirring up trouble. Again, by the grace of God, I was able to quit on April 4th, 1991, 32 years ago. My quitting did not have an easy start. I'd been unsuccessful on and off the wagon for a number of years, and by myself, I couldn't make it stick. And that night of, a of April 4th, I had polished off half a gallon of wine by myself. That's a lot. I woke up about 3 a.m. I was feeling miserable. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and got down on my knees for the first time, asking God's forgiveness and help. In that moment, by God's help, I resolved never to drink again. The next day, I was able to go to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And with the help of Jesus Christ, I've never looked back. What does this have to do with the woman at the well? That woman with all her sinful ways and husbands and being ostracized by others, that woman could very well be me. I have identified with her throughout the years. The thought that Jesus Christ would stoop to spend time with her and her alone and to make sure that she knew salvation and forgiveness, he did the same for me and he does the same for you. Add to this story, I went on a trip to Israel about 25 years ago. I had won a scholarship to go to the Holy Land, and we were on a big bus, my group. It was a group of about 22 people or so, you know, those big travel buses. They have a bathroom, but they don't want you to use it. <laughs> Everybody had their own seat. So our leader, Max Miller, he was the professor of Old Testament at Emory University. He came back to my seat and he handed me a Bible and he said, I want you to read a passage when we get to our next stop. Well, you know what the next stop was, Jacob's well. And you know what passage, John 4, the story of the woman at the well. As I read that passage in that big seat on that big bus, my heart was so deeply touched. <clears throat> I was weeping and praising God for all he had done for me. 
When we arrived, we got off the bus, everyone clamored down to get down the steps. It was kind of dark, kind of like a cave. There was a small brick, round well, and this little bucket, and it was on a, you know, I don't know what that's called, but it, we would lower it. It was for the tourists, so we would lower it down in the water back up. And everybody was playing around with this and talking and having a great time. And then Dr. Miller quieted us and said it was my turn to speak. Even today, the memories of that moment make tears well up and my heart to pound. I announced to the group that this text had great, great meaning to me and that my voice might crack or I might, might get choked up during the reading, but that I would finish and just bear with me. As I spoke the words, there was not one sound. In that cave-like setting with terrible acoustics, not one noise could be heard. I was able to read the entire passage with my voice halting and stumbling, and at the end, there were tears on everyone's face. You see, in that moment, we all realized we were sinners, that we had made mistakes, that we were in, the, in need of the mercy that only Jesus Christ can provide. In that moment, it was God's grace and glory that brought us to this place of forgiveness and salvation. Now I tell you this, not for my own honor or praise, but for God to get all the credit because of his love and forgiveness, he was able to take this reprobate, this sinner, this miserable human, and keep her, keep her sober for 32 years. And in the meantime, clothe her in glory, being a servant of the people, an ordained clergy person, and a doctor of the church. I praise and thank the Lord for all he has done for me and for you. My dear friends, forgiveness is right there for the taking, and Jesus stretches out his arms to us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, help us, help us to hug you in return, to love you and to thank you, and to realize no matter what we have done, no matter how terrible it is, that we can receive your forgiveness. You love us each deeply and dearly, and we cannot praise you, we cannot thank you enough for the joy that you provide, that you give to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.